Amen. So, what is a woman? It's just what I do, you know. I'm sorry. It's just what I do. Um, the past hundred years, there has been a movement that has pushed against injustices towards women. It's righted a lot of wrongs. It's fought for equality. It's, it's given us uh, some much good change. Uh, but as with so many movements, once these changes were made, they just kept going. And it has argued anything men can do, women can do, in some cases better. I'm not going to argue that. There is no difference between male and female. I mean, that's in in everything. I'm I'm just saying we've gotten to a point now. This is not of God. This is not in harmony with God's design. In many ways, this has been a very destructive philosophy, and we're going to get in that next week when we talk about Colossians chapter two. Um, This has not been healthy. This has not been constructive. And if I can summarize, you know, the message today seems to be, you know, women are independent. You know, it's the 21st century. We, you know, and we don't need men. That's, that's how I'm hearing it. Um, men are no longer valued. Men are not necessary. So now we live in a world where men are acting like women. I mean, what did you think was going to happen? Um, if, if, if you tell men that they're no good, that they're useless, they're like, okay, okay we'll just act like you. Is that okay? So now we got... Men competing in women's sports and winning. This needs to stop. So our text today is in Judges chapter 4. I love the book of Judges. Judges is a fantastic book. I, very relevant for today. Um, if you don't know anything about the book of Judges, it's, uh, it's, it's the, the cycle of the Israelites who are living for God and then sinning against God, and which leads to oppression, which leads to them crying out to God, which leads to God delivering them, which leads to them living for God once again. And it's just a continual cycle, and God sends a judge to liberate them out of their oppression. Uh, I think it first starts with Ehud, and there's other judges. Well, now today we're in, in Judges chapter 4, and, and let, me, let me read it. A lengthy story here. Let me read this. It's a great story. Um, judges chapter 4, verse 1. After Ehud died... The Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sowed them into the hands of Jabin, a king from Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of Jabin's army was a man named Sesra. So Sesra, bad guy. Remember that. Um, and Sesra had 900 iron chariots. The Israelites didn't have anything like that. You know, they, the Sesra... 900 iron chariots. That's kind of like Black Hawk helicopters. You know, that's, that's a, you know, tanks. That's, that's, this is a, a very impressive army here. And so they cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And the Israelites couldn't do much about it. And it tells us here, so the Israelites, they cried to the Lord for help. And verse 4 introduces us to Deborah. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. And she sent for Barak, 
And she said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and, and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. And I will, I will lure Sesra. This is God speaking here. This is what Deborah is telling Barak. These, these are the words of God. God, God says, I will lure Sesra, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Keshen River and give him into your hands. Verse 8, Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sestra over to a woman. And which we might be thinking right at this point, he's talking about Deborah. She's, you know, this is, but it's not Deborah, not so fast. There's more to the story here. Um, and then verse 11 gives us a very random detail. I just have to, have to highlight this here. Now, Heber, Heber, the Canite, had left the other Kenites and pitched his tent by the great tree of someplace I can't say near Kadesh. Um, obviously, he just throws that in there. Like, what, 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 what? Um, you know, somebody moved. And, and pitched their tent up north. Now back to Deborah. Okay, verse 12. Uh, Barak and Deborah. Um, and was it verse 12? Uh, she, she directs Barak and the army to go down to a region at, at the base of Mount Tabor. Um, and, and this is a river basin. This is another random detail that's very relevant. Uh, verse 12. When they told Sesra that Barak had gone, gone up to Mount Tabor, Sesera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with them to the Kashon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sesera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor and followed, followed by his 10,000 men. No, 10,000 men versus 900 chariots and other men, right? So 10,000 men, 900 chariots. Um, Deborah tells Barak, go. Has the Lord not given you Sesera, given Sesera into your hands? So Barak went down to Mount, Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sesera. The Lord routed Sesera in all of his chariots and army by the sword. And Sesera abandoned his chariot and he fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as some place I can't pronounce. All the troops of Sesra fell by the sword. Not a man left. Okay, so the army's gone, but Sesra fled on foot, right? Fle uh, he, he fled on foot. He goes up north to this place called, um, uh, 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 well, wherever. Wherever Heber pitched his tent. Heber, Heber, verse 11, Heber pitched his tent up north. Random detail. That's where Sesra goes. Sesra goes there. Um, verse 18, Jael, um, what does it say? Verse 17, so Sesra flees to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. In verse 18, Jael, J-A-E-L, uh, went out to meet Sesra and said to him, come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she put a covering over him. Verse 19, he says, I'm thirsty. Please give me something to drink. So she opens up a skin of milk, and she gave him a drink, and she covered him up, and she tucked him in, and then she sang a lullaby to him. Not, no, that's in the scripture, by the way. But, but so he goes, he's exhausted. He goes to sleep, and she, she's so nice. And then verse 21. Do you all know this story? This is a great story. Verse 21. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quickly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. 
And she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Isn't this great? I, I love the book of Judges. I love it. So she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. And then she walks outside. She puts the hammer down. She said, nailed it. Um, so, um, so, so, so Deborah, who, who is this Deborah? Who is this lady? And, and what the text tells us, back in verse 4, she's a prophetess. And what, what is that? A prophetess. Deborah is a prophetess. She is somebody who hears from God and speaks on behalf of God, speaks the will of God. So let other people know what the will of God is. She hears from God. She makes it known to others. That's what a prophetess is. And it also tells us in this verse that she's a wife. She's the wife of a, man, a, wife of a man named Lapideth. And that's all we know about Lapideth. We don't, we don't know anything about this guy. He doesn't come back up in the story at all. Uh, but she's a prophetess. She's a wife. And verse 5 tells us, and she's a judge. She held, held court under the palm of Deborah. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided, de- declared. Um, so, so she was well respected by the Israelites. She was looked to as a woman of wisdom, uh, somebody who had insight from God. Um, and then there's one more thing that I want to point out. And this is the next chapter in, in Judges chapter 5, verse 7. This is what it says. Village life in Israel ceased. Ceased, this is what Deborah says, village life in Israel ceased, ceased until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother in Israel. She's a mother. She's a prophetess, she's a wife, she's a judge, she's a mother. And that verse is very interesting, village life in Israel ceased. These people had been oppressed for 20 years under the Canaanites. They were, these people were scared to go out into the streets. These people were, they lived in fear. And, and what, what was the answer? What did these people need? In this verse, what they needed was a mother. They needed a mother. That's who Deborah is. Now, there's some other key players in the, in the text. We talked about Barak. Let me tell you a little bit about Barak here. She went to Barak. She said to who's Barak? Who is this guy? It's not her husband. We, we established that. And then I had to research quite a bit to make sure it's not her son either. Brock is not her son, not her husband. I envision Deborah being an older woman who's, who's, who is well-respected by the community and Brock being a young man, a warrior. Um, and, and Deborah makes it clear that Brock is the one the Lord has called Lord, the God of Israel commands you, Barak, go take with you 10,000 men. So, so Barak is the man who's being called by God, and Deborah is the one who's making this known. And Barak seems a little hesitant, doesn't he? A little reluctant to go. He says, I'll go only if you go with me. But if you don't go, I'm not going to go. And I'm like, what a wimpy response. What a wimpy answer here. He seems weak. He seems scared. So what's Deborah do? Verse 9, very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. This is important here. Deborah stood with Barak. Deborah supported Barak. Deborah encourages Barak. Deborah goes with Barak. And I'm thinking there's a lot of Baraks among us today. Our churches are filled with, with, with young men like Barak here who have been called by God, but they're a little hesitant. They're a little scared. They're a little reluctant here. And there's such a need for more women like Deborah. 
who stand with them, who goes with them. And let me tell you something about Barak, because I'm, I don't get a good first impression of the guy. But as I continue to read through the Bible, he comes back up in, in Hebrews chapter 11, the, the Hall of Faith chapter. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, it says this, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, or Barak, or Samson, or Jephthah, or David, or Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of the lions, and then quenched the, the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. You get this here. Barak, through faith, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Barak, through faith, whose weakness was turned to strength. A man who seemed in the beginning to falter, but he didn't fail. God used Barak to rout the army of the Canaanites. He didn't start out strong, but he became strong. And I think much because of Deborah. Much because of Deborah. Another key character in the, in the story here is God. Of course, you know, he always comes up. But just something I want to say about God here was to say that he uh, has not the Lord gone ahead of you. Um, in verse 15, uh, Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sesera. The Lord routed Sesera. And, 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 and this is the part that's really good. It's not very clear in the story, but this is what we, what we think happened. All right, how do you, how you defeat 900 iron chariots? What you do, you call them to the base of a mountain in a riverbed during drought season, which would be like a highway for these, these, these chariots. I mean, it's just a hard rock bed, riverbed, and I mean, like they're, they're ready to go. But God, this is what it says in, in chapter 5, God sends a storm, heavy rains, like what we had this morning. And what do you think happened to all those chariots? They got stuck in the mud. They were useless. That's what our God does. And, 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 and what's interesting here, the Canaanites, the Canaanites worshipped the god, god named Baal, who is known as the, the storm god. God says, you, you got nothing. Watch what I can do. Our sovereign god, during drought season, sends heavy rains, wipes out the Canaanites' army. That's God. Right, another character in the story is Jael. J-A-E-L. Uh, verse 21, Jael, Heber's wife, picked up the tent peg. I don't need to read all that again. Um, uh, the, I read this here. I thought this was good. Jail fastened Sesera to the ground to make sure he wouldn't get up. That's what she did with a tent peg. Okay. And Jail is the hero of the story, but she's not the focus of the story. The focus is on Deborah, the mother of Israel. A, this is a mother of Israel. Not the only one, just a mother of Israel. It was Jail who ended the oppression with a tent peg, but it was Deborah who initiated the end of the oppression by calling Barak and by standing with Barak. And the whole point of the story is that God uses unexpected people in unexpected ways to fulfill his plans. God delivered the Israelites from 20 years of pagan oppression, and he does it through a woman. Actually, two women. And we know that one of them was a mother. Maybe both of them were mothers. Deborah emphasized that she was a mother. All right, so there's a story. Now, I got some application here, a couple of points that I want to hammer home. Um, and so, um, 
So to the women, to the women, first of all, let me talk to you guys. Um, first of all, my, my message to you is embrace your role from God. And, and, and uh, this is very important to me. Men and women are different. Yet have you noticed? Okay. We are made differently. And I shouldn't have to say that. Male and female, he created... He created us in his image. God created us in his image, male and female. There are only two genders created by God, not 7,927 of them. No, there's only two, male and female. Every birthing person that you know is a woman. And it hurts my head to think why or how men would want to do that. We are different physically. We are different emotionally. We are different mentally. We think different. We act different. And this is God's design. Why are we fighting that? Why are we rebelling against what God has made, what God calls beautiful? You know, when God made the man you know, and the man was alone, God says it's not good for man to be alone. If he'd made a carbon copy, carbon copy of a man with just some different plumbing, you know, that would be not good times two, you know? That's, God creates, created us equally but differently in his image. We have different roles. It's spelled out in Ephesians chapter 5. It's spelled out in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, or 2 and 3. In, in this text this morning, I, I think really, really highlights this. And, and to, to a couple of things to see. Deborah is a leader. She's a judge. She's a prophetess. She has the ability. She, she's walking with the Holy Spirit. She's led by the Holy Spirit. She's guided by the Holy Spirit. She's connected to God. She hears from God. She knew the will of God, and she spoke the will of God. And she told Barak to lead the army of God. And when he... When he was uncertain. She did not usurp his role. She did not say, get out of the way, let me find somebody else. She didn't say, I'll do it myself. She encouraged him. And she went with him. I want you to see, it was his role to lead the army. It was her job to help him lead the army. Women do not have the same role as men. Women do not have an inferior role to men. Women have a different role than men. And it's a very important role and a very special role. And God reveals himself through these differences. This is why he made male and female in his image. Men alone do not represent God. Women alone do not represent God. But male and female, God's glory is revealed when men do what they are called to do, when women do what they're called to do. Uh, men are called to lead. You see this clearly in the, in the scriptures, in the home and in the church, men are called to lead. And I want you to see what Deborah said. In, in Judges chapter 5, Deborah, Deborah breaks out in song. She is praising God. All of Judges chapter 5 is a song to God praising God. And this is what she says in verse 2. When, princes in, when the princes in Israel take the lead, 
when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Now, now look at this verse here. Look at the, the, the spelling counts on this one, right? When princes, that's not princesses, that's princes. Men, men, if you are a child of God, he's the king of kings, you are his child, that makes you a prince. And when the prince leads, praise the Lord. And the people will praise the Lord. I believe most godly women want to see the men lead. Women, we're called to help. What did I say? Women, we're. No, women, you. You're called to help. help. And, and, okay, now get this, helper. Um, you are a helper. And helper, I don't want you to think that's a, a negative term. As in, you know, that means you fetch the coffee and you do the laundry. Uh, the only other place that helper, that term is used of someone in the Bible, is talking about God himself. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, the Lord is my helper. In John chapter 14, verse 26, it talks about the Holy Spirit. But the, the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring into your remembrance all things that I've said to you. God is our helper. Women are called to lead. Women are, are called to help them lead. Now, okay, so I'm going to come back to the women later, later here. But to the men, I want to say this here. To the men, embrace your role from God. What God has called you to do. Once again, when the prince in Israel takes the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. The best gift that you men can give your wives or, or your, your mom is to be the man of God that he's calling you to be, to be the leader that he's calling you to be. And, and, and look at this verse in reverse here. When, when the prince in Israel, uh, don't, when they don't lead, what's going to happen? People are going to suffer. And God's not going to be glorified. God's not going to be praised. Deborah saw the value of men leading God's people. Deborah did her part to help Barak become the leader God was calling him to be. And in Judges, Judges 5, when she breaks out in the song, she, she praises all the men who came to, to the aid of Barak. She, she sings, you know, some came from Ephraim. Uh, Benjamin was, one, uh, was with the people who followed him. And, and from Maker, uh, captains came down. Issachar was with Barak. And the people of Zebulun, they risked their very lives. And so did Naphtali and all the, uh, on, on the heights of the field. All these men praised God for these men who stood for God, who stood against evil, who, who stood against the enemy. They, they stepped up. They led. And then she continues, and in her song goes into the minor key, and she starts singing about the, the bad guys. Um, verse, 17, verse 15, in the districts of Reuben, there was much search, searching of heart. Why did you stay among the campfires to hear the whistling for the flocks, Reuben? And Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? And Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. All these men were AWOL. They didn't show up. They didn't come to the fight. They sat at home and watched a football game. A lot of men linger by their ships when they should be standing up to evil. Maybe that's why we're at the point we're at in our world today. Where are the men? 
And, and, and can I point this out? This has been pointed out to me before. In Genesis 3, the creation story, you got the story of Adam and Eve. You got the original sin. What, what was the original sin? Eve eating the apple? No, I think, I think it was Adam doing nothing. Adam doing nothing. Well, it, 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 Genesis 3 says when the serpent came to, to, to tempt Eve, he was with her. Adam was with her. He was standing right next to her, doing nothing. Just, just watching her, you know, I wonder what's going to happen to her when she takes that bite. You know, I wonder if she's going to die. It, that's, God sent Adam to, to lead and to protect and he failed. He failed to lead her spiritually. He failed to protect her. Men, you have a role. Embrace your role from God. Brock did. Brock did that. It took Deborah's help to do it, but he did that. Another group of people that I feel like uh, has to be addressed here uh, to the spectators, to the spectators, this, this is what I see in Judges chapter 5, God curses spectators. Deborah breaks out in song. She sings the praises of God, and she praises the leaders who stepped up. And then her song it ends in verse 23, curse Meros, if that's how you say it, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly. Wow. Why? Because they did nothing. They did nothing. Because their land wasn't being threatened by the Canaanites. This wasn't their problem. Meros represents the people of God who fail to act when it doesn't affect them. We are God's people. We are Christians. And the thing that distinguishes Christians from so many other people is Christians care about what is right and what is wrong and what is just. And, and, and we carry each other's burdens. This is what it says in Galatians chapter 6. Carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And I would ask you, who is one another? When it says carry one another's burdens, who, what burdens? I, I, I wrote down here the, the unborn, the enslaved, the minorities, the orphan, the widow, the elderly, the poor. God curses spectators. We cannot, we cannot remain silent. We have to step up. There are people being oppressed. And it might not be me, but there are people being oppressed. So don't just sit by and do nothing. And I would ask you, pick a crisis, any crisis. We got plenty of them. Find one that you're passionate about and step up and be a leader. Micah 6, verse 8 says, He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. We've got to step up. We need men to step up. And then let me go back to the women here, to the mothers, to all the mothers in this room. My message to you today is God is working through you. You know, I try to point out Deborah is a prophetess, a judge, a leader, a woman of influence. And what is it that she emphasized? She herself, in Judges 5 or 7, what she emphasized is she was a mother. She had a mother's heart. She was just doing what mothers do. The world is shaped in the homes of godly mothers. You see throughout the, you see throughout the book of Judges, you know, that... 
Time and time again, God brings down the most powerful tyrants through weak instruments. That's, that's the story of the whole book of Judges, through Ehud, through Deborah, through Gideon, um, through, through a woman with a tent peg in her hand. God doesn't need your ability. He needs your availability. Are you walking with God? Are you listening to God? And when you look at Jesus, Jesus didn't conquer death. He didn't conquer hell with a mighty army, with an, with a, uh, an army of angels, with a show of force. He did it with humbleness and meekness and obedience and faithfulness. And this is what mothers do. Mothers do a lot of mundane tasks, you know, changing the diapers or, or being the taxi cab or whatever it is that, that, that is required of you. You do it, and, and the world doesn't seem like it values mother, motherhood much at all. Uh, it doesn't value godliness. It doesn't value womanhood. And, and I, I understand parenting is hard. I worry it's getting harder with every generation. It's harder now than what it was when I was a kid. But the Bible gives us some great insight on how to raise our children to live for God. And it really just comes down to trusting and obeying the Lord as he fights for us and he fights through us. He fights the battles. God does his greatest work through simple acts of obedience, just being faithful, just listening to the Lord and doing what the Lord has called you to do. Um, so if you have an outline, there's a, on the back of the outline has characteristics of a godly woman. I just want to highlight some things here, which I think are, are just some fa fantastic things to think about. First of all, the most important quality is to be godly. Be godly. It, it says in 1 Timothy 4, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. If we want our children to, to be free, to be liberated, to be safe, to have peace, then we need to instruct them in the will of God. Show them the will of God. Demonstrate the will of God. Teach them the will of God. A godly mother, secondly, a godly mother speaks the will of God. We want our children to be liberated from oppression. We don't tell them what we think. We tell them what God thinks. Speak to them the word of God. The power is in the word of God, not in your opinion, not in my opinion. It's in the word of God. Number three, godly, a godly mother praises God. You see this with Deborah in, in Judges 5. It's, it's, she's just praising God, giving God all the glory. Number four, a godly mother encourages others and is generous in her encouragement. Deborah was gracious to Brock. She wasn't harsh with him. She did what was necessary to help him be the man that God was calling him to be. She didn't tear him down. She didn't rebuke him. She didn't find somebody else and replace him. She built him up. De Barak became great, but it's because Deborah was doing great things. A godly mother is persistent. She, she doesn't give up. You see this in the life of Deborah. And number six, a godly mother is a servant. Serving God and serving the people of God, looking out for their well-being, wanting, wanting the villages to be safe, wanting the people to be safe, wanting the people to experience the blessings of God. Deborah didn't live for herself. 
She lived for others. And she understood to serve God was to serve others. To serve others was to serve God. And number seven, what I want you to see here, a godly mother has great influence. A godly mother has great influence. Deborah's actions initiated peace and liberty that lasted for 40 years. God does his greatest work through simple acts of obedience. And we've all, everybody in this room has been the beneficiary of humble acts of obedience, uh, mostly through Jesus Christ, but through our mothers as well. Uh, Sacrifice and compassion done with humility and dependence on God. It's never wasted in the kingdom of God. It's what Jesus did. He served God. It's what we see mothers doing. They, They serve God. So, so today we honor our mothers, the biological mothers, the foster mothers, the spiritual mothers in this room. I want to tell you that your role matters. Yours is a crucial part of the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful part of the kingdom of God. An indispensable component of the mission of God. You represent Christ. And you reflect Christ. And I want you to be encouraged today that what you do matters. Your simple act of obeying God, it matters. It's changing the world. And we appreciate you. And we value you. And we love you. Thank you for all that you do.